0: We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Jeremy Campbell, a university student and an activist with Regina Waterwatch. One of the pervasive trends of the last several decades is the permeation of the logic of the market – that's private ownership for private profit rather than common responsibility and the common good – into more and more domains of life. There are many, many ways in which this is enacted, from the patenting of genes, to the corporatization of post-secondary education, to changes in our public discourse itself. One important area where it happens is water. Throughout the world there has been increasing pressure to turn what many regard as a natural resource, a human right, and something that should be common to all humanity and indeed to all living things, into a commodity, private property, and a source of profit. How that is playing out varies a great deal depending on context. In Regina, Saskatchewan, one way it is happening is through efforts by the municipal government to build a new wastewater treatment facility using a public-private partnership, or P3 agreement, that would give a private company exclusive control over the city's water for a period of 30 years. In March of this year, a coalition called Regina Water Watch came together to oppose this move, and they are currently in the midst of a hard-fought referendum campaign to ensure that the facility is instead built and operated publicly. Campbell is one of the core organizers with the campaign, and he talked with me about the issue, the organization, and the organizing. I spoke with Campbell by phone from Quebec City.
1: Hi, I'm Jeremy Campbell. I'm an organizer and activist from Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm a science student at the University of Regina, and I'm a key organizer behind the organization Regina Water Watch. And Regina Water Watch is a coalition of citizens dedicated to keeping water resources in South Saskatchewan and Regina public, And sustainably kept. We are currently fighting to resist privatization of our water resources and have thus far succeeded in our cause. And what we're done at Water Watch had uh, people from the Council of Canadians and uh, the Peace Vigil and a lot of environmentalists as well. It all started on World Water Day. It was this March, March uh, 21st is World Water Day, a little while after the of Regina announced that they were going to go through with a P3 agreement for our quarter billion dollar wastewater treatment facility. And on that day, we announced the formation of our organization, just a coalition of uh, activists and citizens of all ages. It was just a bunch of loosely affiliated citizens that uh, were friends or networked or were in like local uh, nonprofit organizations of all sorts. And uh, we just got around that this was going on and people just came to our meetings and people just proposed and that's how it started. There's uh, people from unions, people from uh, all sorts of nonprofits and environmentalists, and then just regular citizens and people like me. But I'm just a student that I cared about the future of our water.
0: So tell me, what is a P3 agreement?
1: A P3 agreement is a public-private partnership, which is where a public project is taken on by both government finances and private finances. And so how that works is, in our P3 specifically, we will have to take on a private partner for the building, financing, maintaining and every every single aspect of the building for the next 30 years in the contract. And the only uh, incentive for us to take on the project is a $58 million grant from the federal government in which they say that the only reason they're granting to P3s is because it is somehow more efficient, but there has been zero evidence thus far proving such.
0: And give me a, an overview of the concerns that the group has with this model of doing things.
1: There's just a lot of moral and scientific issues behind it. For one, if you just look at examples from around the world, specifically like in the States
0: and and Hamilton. Just quickly interrupting to note that when Campbell references Hamilton here and later in the interview, uh, he's talking about Hamilton, Ontario.
1: And everywhere, uh, people are moving away from private partners for their water maintenance. For example, like France, Argentina, the Suez company—all these large companies—are being kicked out because service charges do go higher with private partners, and water quality does lower. For example, if you look at Hamilton, when they took on their uh, wastewater treatment facility with a private partner, later on, sewage started showing up in the lake—raw sewage—and the city had to take the building and its maintenance back into public hands after a long struggle. On top of uh, environmental concerns so like dropping of service, the fact that you would have to sign a 30-year agreement with a private company is just unsustainable to us. Most companies do not last longer than 30 years, for one. And secondly, our biggest concern is the democratic principles behind it, because we lose all control over water resources in a 30-year contract, and whereas if it was kept public, we could always elect new officials to fix the problems.
0: Tell me a bit more about why, or your understanding of why it is that service charges go up and quality goes down when the management is privately done.
1: Well, you got the common sense that uh, you need to make a profit, and it just does not make any sense considering that all the funding for the project will come from the city, and that we're supposed to expect the private partner to magically uh, create efficiencies, whereas he still has to make a profit, so it just defies common sense for one. But uh, secondly, uh, our organization takes very seriously scientific facts and our arguments. And we've contracted an independent economist and consultants to look at the problem. And it just costs more in general because of private interest costs. When a company needs to help finance the project, they take on more debt. And that debt eventually gets laid off onto the public because we take on all expenses in the contract. So it just costs more and it just doesn't make any
0: sense. And what about the quality side of it? Why is there an observable decrease in quality?
1: Again, just think about the common sense. If you're a water company, there's three ways you're going to make money. It's charging people more for your water, charging the city more, or it's going to be by lowering your costs of serving the water, so replace your workers, or whatever it may be, lowering the service costs. And the other one is to sell off the water resources, which is another thing we're seeing in Regina. Our wastewater final product is being diverted from the natural waterways and being sold off to potash companies for something called saline mining. There's a lot of environmental concerns with uh, the use of water being commodified, because uh, Regina Water Watch's view is water is not a commodity. It is a natural resource and a right for all humans, not a
0: commodity. Tell me more about the wastewater as product. How exactly does it get used?
1: Well, in recent articles in the paper, it's been said that the city of Regina has been signing uh, contracts with potash companies to sell our water off for in the areas of 60 to $100 million for 45-year contracts. And that's just another aspect, because uh, our organization's view is that water is not a commodity, right? So by selling it off to potash companies, they effectively do something called saline mining. And saline mining is when you use water to turn potash rock into a salt, then you decant the salt out, and the salt is the potash that you would use as your final product. It's a complicated process, but diverting water away from its natural waterways is not a very sustainable thing to
0: do with our resources. Now, in looking over the group's website, it seems that there are a number of different kinds of organizations that are coming together to make Regina Water Watch. There's labor groups, environment groups, peace groups, yeah. uh, and the Council of sure. Canadians. And it, yeah. it, it seems to me that each of those maybe have a bit of a different angle on why this is an important issue. Can you speak a little bit about each of those categories of organizations and their particular interest or their particular... Um, well, I'm not
1: too angle? sure about their being particular interest example, I have no affiliation with neither of these. I'm just uh, the youngest organizer in the campaign. And uh, what we do usually is we just come together and we let people know that this is going on, then we congregate and we take large pieces of paper and we just write down our ideas. It's just people coming as individuals, not as organizations. But I do understand that some of the organizations involved have their own views on P3s being bad. They all they all share the common view that P3s cost more and effectively are not a morally right thing to do.
0: Do you feel comfortable expanding on those particular analyses? So if you know, there's sort of a labor perspective on these things that's okay, a bit well, different. Okay, well, labor from the... perspective is definitely uh, to do with there's definitely jobs to be lost. There's definitely service
1: quality to go down. If you just look at the examples, the service gets cut when you privatize your water or just bring in a private partner. They have to make a profit so your service will get cut, and the way to do that is to replace your workers with a cheaper labour force. So that's one concern. Another concern is just the environmental aspect. That's why a lot of environmentalists get involved in the movement, because they don't want sewage
0: showing up in their water, which is something you risk when you take on a private partner who will reduce your uh, service
1: quality to that. Well, I'm not personally involved at all with the Council of Canadians, so I can't speak for them, but uh, I do understand that they do have people working across the country and are a strong advocate of uh, keeping water public. For the most part, our organization received funding from people that were just in the organizing aspect, throwing down their own money. QP also, because QP takes a strong stance against P3s as inefficient and as destructive to uh, water. And they provide a lot of funding for us right now, too.
0: So tell me about the state of things back in March when the group came together. Had the city council made a final decision about this, or they just proposed it? Where, where were things at?
1: Later, already decided it. They had decided to do that uh, earlier on that year. There was just a lot of people mad about it because there was nothing we could do, it seemed, and people were just set that they knew it was going to cost more. And so uh, people were talking, hey, like, let's just create a petition. Why not, right? And the idea just started floating around more and more, and then people decided, okay, we're going to make the petition. And uh, a key thing we had to do was, in the past history of Regina, when people made petitions, they often rejected them for little errors, flaws. And so we had to hire someone to look over the petition to make sure it was legal. And on Water Day, we uh, created the organization dedicated to getting this petition done.
0: So tell me about the process of getting the petition signed. What did your group do to get signatures?
1: Well, there's a number of things I'd like to share with the listeners on what we did and what we did that worked in making this happen, because there is a lot of resistance from uh, governments that are seemingly bought out. In Saskatchewan, the law is that you can't have online petitions, so all of our petitions have to be on paper. You want to create as many petitions as possible, more than you will need, and then you want to distribute them and make a network of volunteers. You want to approach people at public markets, outside retail stores, and just get people to sign and ask if they'd like to help, and if people want to help, you give them lots of petitions. And you make specific where you return them. You have a phone number of which people can call if they want to have them picked up. you just want to make us
0: very accessible to everybody, and you want to have the petitions floating around everywhere in the city. So you would do things like go to public places and ask for signatures? Would you go door-to-door and do that kind of
1: thing? Uh, Well, we found door-to-door is a little less effective. People aren't always at home and whatnot, right? But when we would stand outside retail stores, there's a consistent flow of people. Public markets, there's a consistent flow of people. Uh, The entrances of festivals and concerts and whatnot... At events, we would often bring our own kiosk with marketing banners and stuff saying, We're to Water Watch, and people would come and just sign the petition and, yeah, just stay public. The signatures just came in consistently, but it was in the last week when we uh, put funding into Facebook promotions and seriously got activists going in the last week that uh, we saw our numbers rise from 17,000 signatures to 24,000. And the key thing is social media and having the petition accessible on there. And what you want to do if you're promoting it on Facebook is you specifically want to promote few and strong posts about why water should remain public and use lots of scientific facts to back up your statements and create a lot of discussion. The most effective way is to have people share your post. So if you pull your money into one strong post and release that and like have a link to printing off the petition,
0: that can effectively
1: gain you 5,000 signatures.
0: Tell me more about what makes an effective post.
1: You want to use strong, serious language. You want to have scientific evidence to back up what you say. Don't attack the opposition. Do not say they're doing this and that, so vote yes. What you want to do is just say what they're doing is wrong. The reason is this, this, and that, and be very clear and serious and specific. And make sure what you have to say remains relevant at all times. What
0: do you mean relevant? You don't want to make a post maybe every day. You want to perhaps post every once in a while with things that are going on. with the city, for example, like, We waited, we waited,
1: and the city would do stupid things such as uh, trying to raise the petition limit. We we posted that and
0: flew all over Facebook and everyone gets mad. So you want to remain relevant. And in the in-person process of getting signatures, whether that was at, you know, shopping centers or, or other public events, what kinds of things did ordinary people in Regina have to say about this, both things that were supportive of you and maybe some of the more skeptical responses that you got from people?
1: People have no idea this is going on. They're like, What? Water's being privatized? I'm like, Yeah, well they're signing a private agreement to have a company come in. People had no idea for the most part. The few people who were like, Yeah, it's us three in here there were people who sincerely believe that this is the best thing. They believe that the business does it better and they don't believe otherwise. That's fine, I respect that. The other kind of people that you would hear opposition from are just people saying, we don't want to give up that federal government money. That was the only real other argument for having a private company. And what I'm talking about is the federal government is granting infrastructure money only if we sign a P3 agreement to build our wastewater facility. That is the only real argument that the city has ever put towards following this path, which is why
0: they, <laughs> they have no evidence supporting any other reasons. And, and how do you counter that when you're talking to people? We just
1: tell them the facts. We say uh, it costs more. Because one report we did with economist Hugh McKenzie found that it would actually cost millions more just going through a P3 through interest costs, even accounting for the $58 million grant. It costs more no matter what. And the other thing is you use moral arguments, strong moral arguments, such as it's undemocratic because when you do sign a 30-year agreement with the company, you have no democratic say in what that company does, whether you want to or not.
0: Now, wouldn't people sometimes argue in response to that point about democratic control that, well, okay, but then you make sure that you design the contract well to begin with? Okay.
1: And then we just say, well, what do you do when uh, the company screws up? You, you can't kick them out. You sign a 30-year agreement. It's
0: mm. not like politicians. You can't just have a one. I mentioned on the phone the other night that I lived in Hamilton when uh, some of these issues were going down. From what I recall from those days, the company did screw up, regularly, and yeah. there was very little, it turned out, in the contract to remedy the errors.
1: Yeah, uh, in the current contract, actually, uh, the, the mayor of our city is arguing that uh, there's financial incentives and whatnot to keep water clean, but is that really enough to
0: deter anything? So you spoke about a threshold, a number of signatures that you were aiming to get. What was the significance of that threshold? What would happen if you reached that?
1: If we hit the Threshold, um, our petition calling for a referendum on the issue would have passed, and effectively it has passed in a sense. The threshold was 19,000, I believe, and we had over 24,000 signatures handed in to City Council. They tried to increase the number of petitions required during the last week of campaigning, and so what they did is they contacted the provincial government and they asked that these uh, health card numbers are in the Census of Canada for statistics, and so they tried to ask the provincial government to increase the threshold needed. it was just a blunder that worked in our favor,
0: unfortunately for us. In what sense? Oh, it just made everyone mad and people started to wake up to see, this
1: isn't right, there's something going on. And it just polarized more people against the P3. A lot of the things the city did in their campaign backfired towards us. And when we came to handing them in, we handed in over 24,000. But the city of Regina managed to exclude a very large number just because the year 2013 wasn't written on a petition created in 2013 they found that like one in six was invalid. So they dropped the number down to 16,000. And of course, everyone was mad because a lot of the reasonings they used for slashing out a signature was not putting the year 2013 or just another reason they gave is they took a sample of the petitions. They then called each individual house on the petition list. And if they didn't hear from you, then your uh, signature was slashed out as well. So a lot of things they did were very sketchy and undemocratic. And we technically actually never passed the, it was only after uh, they denied us that we stormed City Hall with hundreds of volunteers and activists and angry people, and we demanded that they pass it.
0: How was that organized? Who came together? What were the numbers uh, honestly, like?
1: Honestly, it was in the newspapers that they didn't pass it, and people were just mad. And it was put in the newspaper as well that there was going to be a public event, public speaking about it with the city council, and people filled City Hall with uh, angry about it. People were calling them fascists. It was just unbelievable.
0: Was that turnout connected to work on the ground that your coalition did, or did, were there a lot of oh, unaffiliated uh,
1: yeah. we definitely. All, all we did was get the word out, you know? The most important thing is telling people to talk about it. When it comes to the organization, uh, there isn't a lot of money to work with, so your best bet is using human capital, just using people to get things done. That's something that the, the opposition will never have. The city just has money to spend, but we have human capital on our side. We would just use word of mouth. People would knock people people's hey you know there's things going on this is going on tell everyone you know and we tell people to tell everyone they know we made pamphlets and we distributed
0: pamphlets all over the city we did a lot of face-to-face stuff sometimes people are kind of critical of the social media side of organizing and say oh well you know you get a certain kind of engagement but it isn't as substantial as the kind of engagement you get from face-to-face organizing tell me about balancing those two approaches in deciding where to put your efforts
1: Honestly, the best thing for you to do is to talk to people and say, hey, do you want to help out? And when you tell young people, I find that they're like the most engaged, ready to help out. Uh, old people have decided that it's not up to them to make these decisions or to, to change anything. But when I talk to a lot of young people, they want to help out. And talking to young people face-to-face is probably the best way to do it. Uh, when it comes to social media, that's just the way to get people talking. People have actually heard about it because of social media. But if you really want to build a network of volunteers, you have to go talk face-to-face with everybody.
0: Just recap my understanding of the process that we've talked about so far, so you had the petition drive, you had in excess of this threshold, then there were various means that the city used to yeah. discount a bunch of the signatures so that it was below the threshold, and then there was this massive in-person event at City Hall that the city decided to go ahead with the referendum anyway, is that uh, accurate? Yeah, the,
1: the people were mad, and there's a lot of resentment and anger, and it, it was sketchy. Everything about it was sketchy. It was undemocratic and sketchy. Um, I don't really blame the mayor. I don't blame city council for this bad decision because they were talking about $60 million in federal funding. That was their only argument. And that's all right. They believe that money will rule. That's fine. Who we should be mad at is the federal government for putting a gun to the city's head and telling them to go through with this or you're not receiving
0: money. I understand now the group is in the middle of a campaign around that referendum?
1: After that... uh horrendous time at City Hall for the mayor, he decided to let the referendum go through and he picked the date later on to be uh, September 25th. And so on that day, the citizens will have the choice to vote yes to go through with the public build or no to go through with the private build. It seems overwhelmingly the support is in our favour. People have been coming up to us at our public events where we talk about the issue and just giving us cash, volunteers, people are mailing us money. People are seriously upset, and we have successfully educated the whole city about the issue.
0: So tell me about the campaigning that the group is doing in the context of the referendum. What outreach approaches, what organizing approaches? Well, um, we're facing a huge financial campaign from the city of Regina.
1: We don't have the money near as they're putting it. We're putting 120000 into getting out the vote non-biasly and they're putting a further uh, 220,000 apparently on voting no. So they're supporting the vote no and they're buying up advertising and they've done a series of robocalls already in Regina calling citizens and telling them to vote no. And that's our biggest threat is money versus uh, human capital because it's up to the people to get the word out regardless of all the words that they can spew out with their money.
0: What approaches are Regina Water Watch using?
1: We're putting up lawn signs. People are volunteering to have lawn signs to say yes. I can't really see anyone taking a lawn sign to say no, so it works very good in our favor. We're just being very public, going out to all public events and letting people know, and just talking, just talking with people everywhere we go, and being active on social media, and consistently building our volunteer network. And then um, I would believe that as September 25th moves closer, we will. Uh, have some sort of full-out education thing. And on election day, uh, I'm sure that we will be providing rides to everyone who needs to go and we'll do everything we can to get the vote out. We're running it just like an election campaign, nothing different.
0: Are there other issues in Regina where referenda on particular issues have been a, a big thing in the city?
1: Well, there has been a referendum in the city for 20 years. So this is the first one we've had for a long, long time. The most previous petition effort was against a stadium that the city of Regina was building they decided to go through with a very expensive stadium and a lot of citizens thought it was a bad use of public money and there was a
0: signature drive that never reached the threshold. Uh, do you know of other instances where the referendum mechanism has been used to, yes, to uh, shape city policy? But, uh,
1: one case we're well aware of is Abbotsford, B.C. And in Abbotsford, there was a huge push from the government to use a P3 for building, uh, I think, drinking water it was. They effectively succeeded in uh, passing a referendum saying no to the private build and yes to the public bill.
0: And are there other cities that you know of that are currently wrestling with similar issues?
1: I've heard St. John's, New Brunswick, is having uh, some sort of P3 build out there that uh, there's a lot of resistance against. If there is anything going on that we're not aware about, I would appreciate very much if people contacted us and we could network from there to make uh, some sort of Canada-wide resistance to expropriation of water resources into private hands.
0: What kinds of policy changes do you think would be um, useful at higher levels of government to protect water as a resource?
1: There is, there is so much that could be done better. Just specifically with this issue is uh, the granting of infrastructure. It would seem, honestly, that there is something working behind the scenes, in my opinion, my personal opinion. What it would seem is that uh, there's a lot of money at stake amongst politicians and business to fully expropriate these water resources. The changes that could be made are just getting business out of politics, to be honest. Because it, it defies logic why we would be required to bring on a company to build water projects, it just defies logic. It's more expensive, it's undemocratic, and the only real reason that makes sense is that there's
0: a lot of money behind the scenes being played around with, and we just have to get business out of politics. So obviously, next steps depends a lot on how the referendum goes, and depends of course on conversations in the community, but speculate a little bit about where Watch will go with a yes vote and where they would go with a no vote in terms of next steps.
1: If the citizens of Regina voted no, which I would be very, very surprised, then I'm sure there would be some sort of legal action to verify that this is true. I mean, if that happened, I'd be very shocked and I would probably assume that something was going on. But um, if we get a yes vote, I think Regina Water Watch will remain as an organization dedicated to keeping the sustainability of our water resources in Saskatchewan and making sure that our water remains public and just as a watchdog for water resources, and the other thing we will do is network with uh, other organizations across the country
0: and even into the states, and keeping water resources public as well. And how do you think that might happen? Networking across vast distances can be a tricky thing, so what are your ideas but, um, about how that could go? The best thing to do is probably use social media, it's the most
1: the quickest way to do it, and if other people create organizations in their own communities as watchdogs for water, just through Facebook we could easily align and share ideas. The other thing to do is just uh, get the word out about what happened in Regina, and just by using radio stations such as yourself, and hopefully other people hear about this, wake up and make sure that their water is doing just fine as well. I guess what this all comes down to is sustainable development, and uh, what's going on in Regina is just not very sustainable. And if more and more cities across the country can start progressing in a sustainable development fashion, then our water resources will effectively be
0: protected. I guess in your use of that language, the connection that it makes to me about other important political mobilizations going on in Canada right now is a lot of them do have a lot to do with resource extraction of one kind or another, whether that's forestry or mining or tar sands, that kind of thing. In the conversations you've had or the alliances that Water Watch has made, have you made any connection to that political work that's going on in Canada right now?
1: No, not exactly. Uh, the campaign as far as has been specifically focused on Regina and will probably remain that way until after the referendum when we pass the S vote. But uh, after that I'm sure that there will be lots of networking further to be done across the country. Maybe the creation of a coalition nationally protecting Canada's water resources. And we've talked to a lot of organizations like I don't know more, which also started in Regina. Well I've talked to them. Hope the listeners in other cities where uh, water privatization efforts are going on, follow what Regina Water Watch did, because we had a lot of success, and contact us if you need help with any uh, issues or any advice on uh, how to combat the expropriation of water resources.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Jeremy Campbell of Regina Water Watch. To learn more about their work, you can go to their website at reginawaterwatch.ca. That's all one word, reginawaterwatch.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.